Do you know how powerful you are? Welcome to Rise Urban Nation. Welcome everybody to Rise Urban Nation. Reshaping and elevating your mindset to help you achieve what you believe. Sometimes we don't even see our own greatness. You can't be what you can't see. And connecting black cultures to build a community of talent and success. Black people need to realize that they are assets. You are an asset. When we rise, you rise. Come together as a group. This is Rise Urban Nation with Terrell Simmons. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Rise Every Nation. It's your host, Terrell Simmons. Uh, ending off this wonderful year with uh, the ladies and from the life insurance industry, Ed, Maggie, and D Sky. They're from the New York area. And we had a lovely conversation about, you know, just uh, how, you know, when you get your money right, finances right, um, and and then their, their uh, long journey into the I want to say long journey, but that journey into the to the financial industry that both experienced with the demonstrated history of just working in the insurance industry, um, skilled in customer service, sales, strategic planning, whole life insurance and life insurance. They break down a whole bunch of wealth and knowledge that I, I think is just so valuable for the community. So tune in. Definitely, definitely check them out. I'm going to put the links in the social media notes as always. Without further ado, let's have a conversation. Let's step into the episode so we can learn a little bit more about how you can use life insurance for your strategic planning. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Rise Every Nation. I got two special guests in the building with me today. We got D Sky. So high that we can kiss the sky. Up, up to the sky. And then Aunt Maggie, they are joining us today. They're about to tell about their business, their career journey, their entrepreneurship journey. So, right. ladies, welcome to the building. How are you today? And where are you joining us from? Yes, yes, yes. I got the neighbor. BK okay, as well. BK in the Good house. Good morning, and thank you as well, Tyrell, for having us this morning. Happy to be here today. Um, we we so happy to have you. So now, for the people who have not had the pleasure of meeting you, I, I know this is a deep question, and you can take it as far as wide as you want to go. But who is D Sky and Ed Maggie? So Ed Maggie, I'm gonna start with you. Who is Ed Maggie? And you could give us the long, the abbreviated version, whatever you want to do in your soliloquy. <laughs> well, um, you know, it when you ask that question, I'm like, wow, that's a question. It's a lot of moving parts. Um, you know, Haitian born, my parents are immigrants from Haiti. They came to this country very young, got married, have eight children. So I'm number five out of eight kids. And I guess what happened was my parents made sure that education was the most important thing. They sent all eight of us to Catholic school somehow. I don't know how. One man's salary did it. And so I always grew up with the notion that whatever I focus on is what I can get. I use my mother mostly as my mentor when it came to it. So I went to Fordham University. I studied economics and I did business as my minor. And when I graduated, passion, obviously, my first love, and that is what I wanted to do initially. So I did that for about four years. I did merchandising. I did a little bit of um, Lord & Taylor work, shoe sales. I was uh, the manager over there for the Michael Kors department. And, you know, I wanted to grow, though. I wanted to do more for myself and also wanted to do more for my family to give back to them. Because, you know, for me, my family is very talented, have a lot of artists in my family. 
my brothers in the film industry, same as my sister, um, you know, so I wanted to put them into a position where they can get to that financially stable status, you know, when you got a lot of artists, <laughs> you know, so my oldest sister is an attorney, um, you know, she grew up, did her own thing. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to defect to finance. Because one thing I know is when I study business and economics, you can make a lot of money in the financial industry. And so um, I started Nilico about seven, eight years ago and was able to slowly accomplish every single one of my milestones as far as getting the financial stability for my family. So now I'm more so about giving back, uh, about educating people on what they can do and, you know, fulfilling your dreams. I mean, my first goal is I just wanted to make $70,000 a year. And so I was able to way, way surpass that now, you know, as far as income status and also as far as, you know, what it is to assist other people and help them, you know, fulfill my dream of educating people on finance. So now I'm able to like help individuals get their finances together. And at the same time, I'm able to supply for my family, you know, and I, I still do some of the fashion stuff on the side. I mean, apparently one of my friends is going to be on a talk show soon. I'll be styling her. Um, so I'm able to fulfill. <laughs> yeah. Um, all of my, you know, future and there's really no limit to what you can do. So just knowing that, knowing the Holy Spirit is your guide and God is first and you could accomplish anything um, as long as you don't forget who you are. I love all of that. I love all of that. And, and, and big up to you for like, man, that's that's a lot of kids. And, and, and they, I don't know how one man was able to get all these kids, uh, you know, but through God, you know, <laughs> yeah, through, through hardships, through the ghetto, through the systems, and y'all all turned out good and successful. Like, um, I, you know, you remind me of my dad, who's an immigrant parent from Nigeria. Mm. Four kids did the same thing in, in, in the hoods of DC, and we all came out successful. So that's a beautiful testimony. Thank you for sharing your story. D Sky, you up next. Well, mine is not as, as direct and succinct. But um, it's the journey. It's about the journey. Um, for myself, um, I'm the oldest of five, um, mom and dad home. I didn't have a really clear direction in terms of what I wanted to do when I entered college. So I spent time kind of going in college and jumping out of college and jumping in college and then jumping out and doing other things, trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. I had a passion for communication and music. And so I, I ended up in the fashion world for a while, did modeling. And, you know, I find that I like to always find meaning and purpose in whatever it is I'm doing. So when I realized I felt like a hanger for clothing, as opposed to really having some meaningful contribution, I decided to do my own thing. And so I did talent and fashion shows for quite some time, wanting to just make sure that knowing that I didn't really want to have a career necessarily in fashion, it was wonderful. It afforded me a lifestyle that I enjoyed, but it wasn't the industry I wanted to stay in. So I wanted to make sure that I can open a way for those who did want to do that. So I did talent and fashion shows for a while, jumped back into school, jumped out of school. And then I decided, you know what, let me do something a little different. Let me see if I can provide a way for um, my interest in music to be to be flourishing. So I ended up with a um, dance company. I was the uh, uh, managing director for a traditional African dance company. We did traditional dances from Cote d'Ivoire. And we did that for quite some time. Um, Lincoln Center Out of Doors, Carnegie Hall, Brooklyn Academy of Music, PBS specials. We, we did a lot. And I got fulfillment out of that because 
I'm representing my, my culture and my heritage as an African living in America. Did that until I said, you know what? It's time for me to switch lanes because I have like different interests in life. And I never felt like I wanted to be keyholed into any one. Like I just want to be a doctor and spend the rest of my life being a doctor. There's just so many things that I found of interest. So one of my interests was in health and wellness. So I became um, a co-owner of a holistic medical practice, which I dived into with both feet, did that for a number of years. And after I felt like I've done as much as I can do at, from an owner's perspective, I, I jumped out of that and began actually teaching, um, went back to school, got my degree in alternative medicine and began teaching health and wellness because I felt like it's an area that is such a foundation for how we live, for whatever we do is based on your state of health. Your state of health is going to determine your state of mind, your state of your spirit. It affects so much of who we are in this world. So I did that for a number of years as well. And then I, you know, business is always behind everything that I'm doing. So I got exposed to network marketing and I like the concept out of everything. I love the concept of residual income. You know, after, you know, it, it makes so much sense. Buffett said that if um, if you don't find a way of generating income while you're sleeping, you're going to work until you drop, right? So it's a really, really important concept that I grasped onto. And so I did the direct sales for quite some time until I came across this industry. And I say this industry, the industry that both brought both Ed, Maggie, and myself together and this is finances, you know, in the financial institu- in, in industry. And specifically, now there are different niches, of course, in the financial industry. You've got real estate, you've got land ownership, you've got artwork, you've got stocks and bonds. Our niche is life insurance. And so she and I work together in the arena of life insurance, which has the whole residual income, as well as being able to positively impact people's lives. I love that. I love that. Now, you know, you, I feel like both of y'all have so many parallels. Did y'all know each other before y'all got into the, to this industry, to the financial no. industry? Like, I, no, but yeah. you know how the, you know how the spirit works. Yeah, you know, like, like, ladies and gentlemen, y'all witnesses, like, black girl magic always in the making. Not only do they, they are the, the creators of life, they breathe life into everything they do. So <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't join at the hip sometime between a fashion and music thing. <laughs> but I'm glad they, they got the financial literacy going. So what, what made financial, the financial industry, you, you, you stopped and said, you know what, this is it. Like, and, and what have you learned in this journey um, of coming into the, the financial industry and just really helping, you know, our people get a better education and, and, and learning those gems that you drop from Mr. Warren Buffett. What, what, what has that process been like for, for you both? You know what I'd say? In each of the arenas that I have worked in, whether it was fashion, whether it was music, whether it was communications, whether it was medicine, behind the passion to do what you're doing, you have to stand on a financial platform. Who wants to be the starving musician? You know, who wants to be the burnt out, broke doctor? Well, they're not going to be broke. They'll just be burnt out. But I mean, behind it all, you have to have a financial platform that you're building your craft or whatever your contribution to this wonderful thing we call life to be able to sustain ourselves. And in a way that is respectable to who we are. And everybody has different standards of how they feel comfortable living. 
So for me, it was something I always leaned into, regardless of what arena I was in, like what's going on behind the scenes here in terms of the money making. So it's just, it's just a foundation. Yeah. I mean, to answer that question is still, the Bible talks about seeking you will find. Right. And I think everybody, what we're in now, um, one of the bad things about the pandemic is obviously all the loss that we have had to deal with, but the silver lining behind it is it kind of forces people to reflect on priorities and what is important versus not important. So life insurance obviously is something a lot of people are thinking about now because the pandemic opened up them to understanding of mortality. But I think it also opened up people to how much knowledge is actually out there versus where they are in their life. And if you're seeking towards something, you look and you'll find it. You know, everyone's working to survive. Um, not everyone, but a lot of people work to survive and there's better opportunities in life to survive. There's also opportunities for you to thrive and for you to be able to, you know, like Sky said, use that financial backing to support your life. One of my best friends, for example, she's a physical therapist. And one of my dreams is I would like to help her with her down payment to open up her own individual physical therapy office so she can go out and do her own thing. And that's something that you can do with the financial backing. And I don't know if it's an intentional thing with our systems, but, you know, when I studied economics, they don't teach people about credit scores or life insurance or balancing checkbooks or investments or streams of income. The Bible says you should have eight streams of income, right? Ecclesiastes talks about it, but that's not something that we're taught in school. What are we taught in school? You go to school, get a degree, graduate, work a job for 40 years, maybe make a pension. Maybe there'll be social security for you. That won't be decided by you though, right? Don't forget to go watch. (laughs) Right, upon retirement. And it's actually, you know, so many people, I'm a millennial, so so many of us graduated and experienced, I don't know if you want to call it the scam of the truth, which is that doesn't look too good. You know, I watched my father work for 31 years and his pension is lower than I've earned in residual income on a monthly basis. It's one quarter of it after eight years, less than eight years in the company, right? So understanding the importance of about having that financial background, understanding how life insurance actually has been in this country for years, centuries, actually. Uh, Hundreds, hundreds of years. Yes, centuries. (laughs) And basically... People have used it to propel themselves in so many ways, even going back to me as a Haitian born American. um, You know, when you understand the history of it, like back in the day, slave owners used to have life insurance on their slaves and they would get income from the slave passing away. Right. And so in my opinion, everyone should have life insurance because it's the easiest way for you to escalate generational wealth Um, because it's tax-free monies. And it's not just about educating our demographic of union workers and working families, but it's also offering people the opportunity to know that they can actually work in an environment where they can have a life, they can have a quality, they can have a balance, they can have what I think most people struggle with, which is just time to think. If you're so focused on where the next check is going to come from and how you're going to survive and all those different things, you're not able to really be your true self And I'm a firm believer, um, you know, there's a book called The Science of Getting Rich, um, and it spoke about God, I don't think, wants us to be in lack. I think the best form of love is shown in abundance. 
So you know you're full, you know you're complete, you know you can give, and you know that you're always going to have more from the space of giving. Um, and so, you know, I think if we can just educate people, and that's why I love what I do, one day at a time, one home at a time, um, you know, it's one worker at a time, you know, changing that mindset and propelling people forward. So um, that would be my answer to your question, yeah. Tyra. Yeah, you know, I love that you absolutely. I always love that you bring, you know, religion into it because there's a spiritual essence in, you know, our people. We're very like spiritual people. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I think it helps them get it from that context and lens. So thank you for um, inviting that to the conversation. Absolutely. I have a very difficult time disassociating the two. A lot of what makes my success yeah. is my grounding in spirituality. No, no, I don't want you to disconnect the two. Keep bringing it um, and being your authentic self. Um, we all connect in different ways with money. I, you know, the thing that I'm, I, I struggle with and I think about um, when I think about our communities, and especially our most impoverished communities, is our relationship. And, and mm-hmm. I think I was telling somebody the other day this, like, yo, I'm tired of doing the fish fries every time we got an RIP uh or 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 a GoFundMe like we, we need to we need to you know learn how to really elevate our communities by setting in the proper you know protections for our family and it could be a generation a vehicle to generate wealth as well not only just you know when somebody passes away so that the family is taken care of so they can celebrate that person's life properly right and then also mm-hmm. set the next generation up. How do we start to change the culture and shift the culture? Like, and what is it? Do you think that it really needs shifting when we when we look at the our, our culture and reference to money and 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 really tapping into you know generational wealth through the form of life insurance? I'm I'm glad you mentioned that, and and I'm really glad that Ma- that Maggie you mentioned the whole um, issue of generational wealth. It's becoming more and more part of our conversation as a people. And, and you know, that there's some patience that has to be had for us as a people here because our beginnings here in this country is not the same as other people's beginnings. So, you know, we, we came into kind of survival mode and then, you know, gradually working our way out of just survival, our ability to be able to just live decently. And then, you know, trying to figure out the best way for us to succeed using our innate genius that we have as a people, figuring out how to educate ourselves, how to clothe, how to house ourselves. So, you know, we're a little bit behind, say, other groups who've been here, even during a shorter period of time, but we've caught up. You know, we've caught up to the place where we realize that we have to now put in place things that are necessary for us to succeed generation after generation, where we can set up the next couple of generations in place, put that in place. And so a great deal of what we do in this business is education, you know, because financial literacy is something that we are grasping, grasping at this point, understanding that it's not enough just to be able to live paycheck to paycheck. Like we have to plan ahead several generations in order to really live with dignity and respect. So that's part of our conversation in in our conversations around finances and our conversations around wealth. We have to talk about just what it is to put these things in place. So when we talk about things like life insurance, someone like a, a Walt Disney, who, as we know, started Disney World, 
it wouldn't have come into being had it not been for life insurance policies. Nobody wanted to hear his cockamamie idea about a theme park. Didn't exist, right? But you know, that's how lots of ideas are launched. It was never done before. Having somebody believe in your dream, his family didn't want to hear about it. He had to do it himself. He had to cash out a couple of life insurance policies. One of the benefits of life insurance policies, whole life insurance policies, is the cash value that's inside of them. This is known by many generations at this point and is passed down through generations where they have a substantial amount of cash value that they use to take loans out against to start ideas, business ideas. We can do that, right? A lot of times we have to get past thinking of life insurance as, oh, you want to talk about me being dead. Like, I don't want to talk about that. That is not the only use of life insurance. Far be Mm -hmm. it. It's used oftentimes as a springboard for the next generation. And as Ed Maggie had alluded to, tax-free. She made a statement, actually. Tax-free. I know when I'm talking to someone who is um, old money and someone who's new money, because old money got burned by several other types of, quote-unquote, investment vessels for them for this, for their futures. Because when they went to go get them in their retirement years, they got walloped with taxes, 30 40% in taxes before they were able to receive what they've been saving as tax-deferred vehicles. With life insurance, that money goes into the policy tax-free. Uncle Sam can't touch it like he touches up your bank account every year. Uncle Sam touches up your bank account every year, right? It's called income tax, right? Helps himself to a whole third, more or less, of your income. With life insurance, it doesn't get touched at all year after year. And when it pays out, guess what? It gets paid out tax-free. What could be better than that? So we have substantial income earners. We're talking millionaires who have money put inside. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have to get savvy about that. It's not enough to just say, I've got a bank account. I mean, what's your bank account earning these days? 0.2% interest? Like pennies banks are tossing at us to for the privilege of holding on to our money? Like something is not resonating. Something's not making sense there. So when we're talking about life insurance, we're talking about finances, we're talking about another vehicle through which we are building our wealth for the next generations. We could talk about family trusts. We could talk about creating family Mm -hmm. banks with life insurance policies. It has tremendous uses beyond taking care of your final expenses, which is a reality. We all know we're going to leave this life. We weren't responsible for coming in. We just, we're here, right? And living this life. But at some point you have to own your life, right? And even the end of your life, right? Who wants to... Leave loved ones with a thirty thousand dollar tab. These guys in right? her this, bag this, this morning, ladies and gentlemen. Fair. Like she is talking that mm-hmm. talk. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Uh, like 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 uh, this. You know, we're passionate about wanna, what we do. I want to I want to talk okay. about something she mentioned that old money versus okay, go new ahead. money. And you know, it, it, it it's funny because I feel like in my life, I'm kind of juxtaposed between the two and, and the, the wide range of individuals that I know in my life. I think my all my friends are like the UN, um, you know, as far as their their levels, their families and everything. And it's just behavior is belief driven. Right. And if you go into a family, there's two types of beliefs. Right. And I've had conversations with people. It's this whether I get my life together or not, doesn't matter. I'm inheriting money. That's one behavior, belief driven 
aspect from a specific demographic of people that I know, right? And in the other demographic, it's, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. If this person dies, we're going to have to come together and get it together. Those are two different beliefs. One believes they're inheriting money as their families die off, right? And the other belief is you're going to struggle when your families die off, right? And so I think that to answer your question, what's the easiest way to attack it? Well, knowledge is power, right? The truth shall set you free. And if we're taught by our parents, right? Just like how people who have their assets together, the the old money people, they teach their children this. And it's so innately ingrained. It's not even something that they think about as a lesson. It's just their constant state of life. It's what they know, right? Which is, you know, different things about using credit cards versus using their debit cards, you know, having those little small financial knowledges. So that way, when they're 18, they have an 800 credit score, right? That's not normalized as much. And that's something that could very, very easily be taught um, from us. So it's up to us as, you know, the millennials of the world, the people that are raising our children, you know, people that are, you know, informing our children, this is what you're supposed to do with your life. This is how you're supposed to live your life financially. You know, we get taught, this is what we're supposed to do just to survive. We need to get taught, this is what we need to do to thrive. And it's okay to do well for yourself. You're not a bad person if you're doing well for yourself. It's all right. Um, you can thrive and you could also be in such a great place that you could also give back. So I think that um, to answer your question, it's just about the education and normalizing the education, normalizing the conversation about finances. Um, because old money, when you walk around at a party, sometimes that's what they talk about. What investment are you in? What are you doing? What, are you, what is this? That's a normal conversation. You know, in, in another conversation, it's what she wearing, what bag does she have, what shoe is she wearing, and once that becomes a normalized conversation, in how we raise our children, it's intentionally, in my opinion, not taught in our school system, because we need most people to understand, got to work to survive. Um, so I think that's 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 what's needed. Sorry, I just had to say. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, jump in, jump in. You know, if I can, if if I can, leave a tidbit, just as. A- just as a little tidbit, um, when a young person has a whole life policy, right? A parent will purchase a whole mm-hmm. life policy for their children. This is what people with money do. They come in the world, they get their mm-hmm. whole life policy. It's not a question of whether you're going to die or not. You are going to die at some point. So you have this, it's in place, it's inexpensive when they're very young. But the advantage now later on in life, as Ed Maggie was mentioning, your creditworthiness. Say your child reaches 23, 24, they want that car. They want that car. They graduated college. They're proud of themselves. Mommy, daddy, you said you're going to get me a car, right? Now, you're going to be the one to go purchase that car. We'll help finance you, but you're going to go get that car. They can go to a dealership, and, of course, they're going to have their credit run. When they find out that this young person, this 23, 24-year-old, has a whole life policy in place, out of 10 points in their credit worthiness, they automatically get four points automatically. You know, they're almost halfway there just by having a whole life mm-hmm. policy. Why? Because that says to the person that's extending the credit, you're responsible. You are thinking about your future versus, say, a family, husband, wife, kids come in, they want to buy a car, they need a car, but they don't have life insurance. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? You don't have life insurance. It says that you're fiscally irresponsible, So it automatically gives your child 
some credit worthy thing for home ahead, you know when they're looking at you know your assets and your liabilities life insurance is considered an asset they'll ask you you know I spoke to a loan officer about it i said why do you guys give them better interest rates why do you give young people with life insurance better opportunities to own a home he's like listen someone's under 30 years old and they have a life insurance policy they're thinking about their future their behavior patterns are the Absolutely. kind of person that i would want to trust with this bank loan yeah, so Absolutely. all that is just straight fire. Um, I want to dial it back to something that you said earlier, uh, Ed Maggie, um, in reference to, you know, uh, the education and changing the narrative and having conversations about being the new norm. Uh, so I, I'm thinking about my my down south South Carolina people when we talk about when you when you were speaking about normalizing it and, and changing the culture and having the conversation, educating people. You know, some of the people that's in the church from the South that I, I, I have family members, they look at sometimes some of the churches demonize money like the money is the devil. Like, like, you, you, you know, nah, you, you, that's the devil right there. Right. How do we change that that narrative so that we can start to have healthy, normalized conversations? Well, I love how you say that, because the church is going to be the first one, though, to tell you to tithe right after they say money is the devil. They're going to pass that basket around. Right. The love of money that you can demonize. Right. Seek God first and all these things shall be given unto you. So if your heart is in a place that money is a spiritual thing and it is just used for you to do whatever your spiritual clause of life is supposed to be. You know, let's say, for example, Sky was talking about I want to open up a medical practice and I'm a very good doctor. I'm a very good physical therapist. What do you need to start off that business? financial backing, right? If you're a musician, right? And you want to open up your own recording studio and you don't want to have to pay fees to record, right? You could do that if you have those financial backings. Like, you know, like I'll give you an example, like Taylor Swift, she has an amazing career not to knock her, but her family's wealthy. You don't think that that helped with her ability to be able to record and work with artists? And we have so many talented, talented, talented individuals that may not have that financial backing just because they didn't have that knowledge, just because, you know, it's each generation, each each one teach one, you know, talking about generational, um, you know, blessings. As you learn something, it breaks that curse. And that lesson doesn't need to be learned in the next generation now. Now they know. And so that's why I feel so propelled Absolutely. behind, you know, where I am. When I started even in the finance industry, I was one of the first few, you know, black leaders on my team to be able to be a female that's powerful. Right. So, you know, I feel like that's my ancestors behind me saying, you know what? You opened the door. I was waiting for this. I was waiting for you. I am vouching for you. So I feel like that pressure, that energy to feel, all right, well, I got to make sure that I'm on point and whatever I'm doing, I'm going to try my best to do it well you are so, exactly who um, our ancestors prayed you know, ancestors. for uh, and so i'm glad you are here both of you you know you guys uh, I, this is what i love about new yorkers like yeah y'all new york is so inspirational i feel like you are like the female version of earn your leisure y'all out here in these streets just doing it <laughs> and, and educating people one of the where are you, where are you based I'm, I'm in san diego I'm in San Diego, California. Uh, born in okay. New York, raised in D.C., but now out here in San Diego, California. But I've been watching Earn Your Legion. I've been watching what New York been doing. And y'all, y'all, y'all on y'all A game out there. Uh, so I, I applaud y'all. I hope 
that that other states and other communities follow what y'all doing because this is a, a a true movement and it's beautiful as we start to see because now i start to see this tide shift more people are normalizing the conversation and this, there's a lot of people getting into this business um but we do have some 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 frauds out there that's getting into business in 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 and in it for all the wrong reasons the money the money grab the quick bags <laughs> not not setting people right up for success um but we have uh, we also have people who are taking the time to do it like like yourselves what, uh, first of all what's what's the name of your business and and what is unique about your business what would you say is unique about your business you want me to answer sky or you want to answer you want to take that Ed, okay so nationally mm-hmm. come life insurance companies okay. were known in new york where you are in San Diego and all 50 states, and including Canada, were known as American Income Life Insurance. So our company was founded in 1951 by a man named Bernard Rappaport. We're a 100% unionized life insurance company. And he founded us because, you know, a lot of working families, they did the whole get the job, work in the union. But usually when you retire, you quit, you leave your union job. Those benefits don't go with you, Right. All these city workers, my sister's an attorney for the DOJ. And, you know, she did her own research, of course, because that's how lawyers do. And she said, my benefits aren't coming with me when I'm retired. So basically what he did is he allowed a facet for the union to support and vouch for a life insurance company to educate their union workers and be able to enroll in insurance products when you're younger and you're healthier. And when you leave the union, you take those products with you 100 percent. Okay. And so that's pretty much what our company does um, as far as it being a union-based life insurance. Now, what's different from our companies um, versus other companies? Well, we sell term life. We sell whole life, right? Whole life is, uh, term life is cheaper. It's for a short time when you get a certain age, it cuts off. And if you're still alive after that time period, just like car insurance, that policy is closed, that money is gone. It's, it does serve certain great purposes like income protection, mortgage protection, anything that has a lifetime for coverage. But when it comes to like the general wealth building and the cash value, that's not built with term products, but that's why they're also cheaper generally in the marketplace, right? Whole life is more expensive, but it's for your entire life. The price never changes. And then after three years, that's when it starts to build cash and loan value. So just imagine if you started at zero, how much cash value you'd have even at 18 years old, right? And it's compounded interest with our companies at four and a half percent. Did you say compound interest? Compound Ooh. interest. And if, ladies and gentlemen, if you know what, yes. if you don't know what compound interest, look yes. it up. Because now, if you don't know, now you know. So mm-hmm. once that time, this is why, of course, as, yeah. yeah so yeah, no. Once that time comes, obviously, after three years, it builds that loan value, and then, as I said, the price never changes. So if you start your policy at zero, you're going to pay the rate of a zero old when you're sixty years old. By then, you policy actually would be considered paid up. That's another conversation, and you wouldn't need to pay anything anymore. But um, you know, the rate would never change. Started at 25. When you're 55, it's the same rate. So our company, we actually specialize in discounted rates for whole life insurance for union members and their families. Because most of them know they need it. They know it's important. But a lot of them are scared of whole life insurance because of the price, what it goes for on the market. And so they end up with term. And they tell themselves, I'm going to switch it over later when I get that part of my life where I could afford it. But then sometimes, what are we doing with our lives? We're busy, we're working, we're just trying to survive. We forget. 
and they get that letter in the mail at 70 years old. And then the story becomes life insurance isn't good. Like you said, right, Terrell, life insurance isn't the best thing for you. I had a term plan and my term policy cut off. And so that's what our company does is our niche. We specialize in discounted rates for the union members to be able to afford something that they know they need and may not be able to find it on the market for a price that they could actually budget in. And one of the reasons that we're able to offer it at such a discounted mm-hmm. rate is because we don't need mm-hmm. to advertise. We don't advertise. We don't solicit. We're typically not even available on the open market. And that's because we made our relationships with those unions. You know, we're a unionized life insurance company. And because we have those relationships with the union heads, we are available to the union um, body as a whole. So all that money that other companies that we've heard of that have their names on the side of, of stadiums or or in, in little um, little lizards and mm-hmm. other kinds of, you know, advertising, um, marketing, advertising mechanisms. They don't need to invest billions of dollars in advertising. We, we keep that and we save our members the hassle of having to spend so much in premiums. Because you know those other companies will pass on all that money they're spending in advertising onto their clients, right? They're not going to take the hit for that advertising. It gets passed on to the clients. So our rates are so highly I love competitive. That. I love that. I'm curious. become very affordable. Um, do you remember your first sale? And if you do, how did you make your first sale? Who wants to go? It's so nice because I know with our company, we have such a camaraderie, which is one of the things I love about this particular company. We have such a support system. We work as teams. It's not the typical corporate environment where we're competing with each other. The competition is not what goes on. We work cooperatively with each other. So when I made my first sale, I was with someone who was training me. You know, So it's not like you're out there on your own. It's not like you get your license and now you're out there trying to figure it out. We work with other people. We get training. We get support. And so when I was in the home, because this is when we were out in the field, you know, before COVID hit, um, in the homes, making that sale, I was like, I did that. I did that. I did that. I did that. No, no, no. We did that. We did that. And it's it's twofold. It's exciting because one, you know, you're really helping a family protect their future. And two, it's just confirming your ability to be able to convey all these things we were talking about to a family, you know? So Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, I can do this. And then, and then the doors fly open. Love that. Love that. How about you, Matt? How about you, Matt? You've been at this longer than I have. What was your first sale like? Um, my first sale was actually, that was, I'll talk about my second sale. My first sale was a friend of mine who said, Maggie, when you get licensed, I need you to sign me up for life insurance because I like you and I trust you. And I said, okay. Um, my second sale, I like talking about it because it was after, and this is why I love correlating my life to a spiritual process. I had just gone through my worst sales week ever. I sat down with 14 individuals that week. Um, Nobody wanted to buy from me. And it was honestly because a company has a system to work and I wasn't on it. I was doing my own thing, using my talents. And, you know, I got my first real rejection. So I'm a firm believer that right after a door closes in your face, it's a test to see, do you really want this? Right? And so um, I had a door refusal, my first one. So I didn't get any sales for 14, but the woman opened the door for me. It was eight o'clock in the morning. She said, I'm not dealing with you. And she shut the door in my face. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go to my next person. I walked over to my next um, client. 
And she was a woman who again told me no. And I just said no to your no. And she's a woman who's still on the books to this day. This is seven years ago. Um, she has a daughter and she really understood the value and the importance of life insurance based off of our conversation. And that's really was so impactful for me because, you know, when I went back to speak to her years ago, everything she knows about life insurance was stuff that I taught her seven years ago. And when I had the conversation with her, I'm like, you're selling me on life insurance. Who taught you this? <laughs> That's beautiful. When you when you go back to somebody and they regurgitate everything you told them, like I, I've had aha moments like that too before. Uh, so that I love that. Thank you for sharing both those stories. Now, I want to go back into your journey because like a lot of people always think that as soon as they make the decision to jump into something that they're automatically going to hit that level of success um, or need to hit a certain level of success to be sustainable in that career or that journey that they go into. And I like to show people, you know, it's not always like that. Like life takes you through these different journeys, as you alluded to when you were telling your stories in the beginning. Um, all at the stay, um, what was your very, very first job? Is this so they could see the correlation of your first job to where you're at now? What was your first job? Yeah, My first job <laughs> my first job, this is when I was 16. I, I was a camp counselor, you know, a summer camp counselor. That was my first job. And then after that, as I got a little bit older, you know, it was administrative, you know, during those years that I was in and out of college, because I really wasn't qualified to do but so much at that point. Um, so, yeah, after that, it was just administrative work. But what it did do for me was it taught me what I didn't want, Um because I was living in Queens. I grew up in Queens. I had to take a bus to the train and then the train into the city. Because, you know, you have to work in Manhattan to work at that time. And and this is kind of even before women got savvy enough to just say, listen, I'm going to wear my sneakers and until I get to the job and then I'm going to change my shoes to my fly, my fly kicks. Right? So I was wearing my fly kicks from the time I left the house till the time I got back in the house. I'm like, who does this? I don't want to walk around like this. I, I don't like this. I respected the fact that my mother did it, but I'm like, ma, I, I can't do this. And so when I talked to her about wanting to do my own thing, you know, she heard me, but she was like, mm, you know, respectfully, that's what she knew to do. But I just knew from early on, there's no way I'm going to do this. I'm going to have to figure out how to generate income myself. So that's kind of, that seed got sown early on. I was like about, 1920 when that seed got sown and so I was always looking for entrepreneurial opportunities so it first came at 23 and it just got easier okay I mean for me I started working when I was 14 years old I worked in the Catholic Church as a like a rectory assistant but you know I'll talk about my first job out of college because that was the one that's actually kind of the funniest one um, I worked as an assistant for a top life insurance agent for three months. And just how Sky was talking about it, I'm not anybody's assistant. I realized that the hard way. Um, <laughs> I'm very good at motivation stuff, but sitting there organizing documenting paperwork and data entry, it just wasn't my thing. And so I did it for three months. I was, if I look back at that time period of my life, I think the behavior patterns I had were probably of a little bit of a depression. So I didn't like the fact of, you know, me working and just waiting for someone to tell me what to do. Because I was such a self-starter. And, you know, the other thing was I told myself after I left that job, I was never going to work in life insurance. <laughs> 
because of the fact that you had to cold call people. You had to go looking for different activities to do through the church and softball and try to connect with people on LinkedIn and do all these different things. And I said, I don't want to solicit the people. And then fast forward, <laughs> graduated college in 2011. I started working at Nilico in 2015. What separated it from this job from that career path was they give us the union workers, they give us the leads, they give us people to call. So we don't have to do any of those solicitations. And I was able to educate my friends and family at my leisure, but not at the company's demand. Um, So, you know, that was my first job out of college. I think that's just a funny story. Look, that is so funny because now you're coming back full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Who would ever know? Now we got it all record. (laughs) So... (laughs) And, and, you know, and I and I put my toe in the life insurance industry also before I came uh-huh. to this particular company because I was doing I was doing my health and wellness thing. And then I transitioned over into yeah. um, health insurance. And and then I said, you know what, let me just expand. Let me get my license. And I went and got my life health and disability license. And I said, maybe I should look into the life insurance side of this. And once I realized that. There was no training. They get you the license. I mean, I took the test and got the licensing, but in terms of how you now take this and grow it out, there was no guide. There's no store that you can go to. There's no school that you go to to show you how to be a productive life insurance agent. And all of the, you know, the things that they talked about in the different companies just wasn't appealing to me. So I just put it in my back pocket for a number of years until I ran into someone who worked for the company. And when they began to explain the kind of support that you get, I had to lean in. I leaned in, I kept his card, and I kept calling him, I kept calling him like, I, I want to check this out. Nice. I want to check this out. So that's and, and then where he was we able, got started. able to help you out. So now, I, you know, I, I want to learn Absolutely. about that process real quick because I know um, there's going to be a lot of, you know, young ladies that hear this, they're going to get inspired by your story and then they're going to say, you know what? That's that's it. That's the crowd I need to be in. That's going to help me change my situation, my family situation and so forth. So, you know, what steps do you what steps would you tell to that person to take um, or what steps did you take to kind of get into your your career and start your business that you can give as advice to to all those people who are going to be inspired by this 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 podcast interview? You know, I'm so glad you asked that. And I'm going to pass it to Maggie after I just make this comment. Um you know, we're living in a time financially where it's always been a challenge, you know, trying to make ends meet for us. But right now, everybody is challenged. We are, I know they're talking about us entering a recession. As far as I'm concerned, we've been in a recession for quite some time and it's only getting worse. You know, if you, you know, look at the headlines, there are many companies that are tossing their employees out by the thousands by the thousands, unapologetically. They're being dumped into the unemployment bins. And God only knows how long you're going to be there and how much support is going to be in place and for how long. Very, very unsettling times that we're living in financially. Whether you're in college right now with aspirations of gaining entry into one of these positions or whether you are already in a career that you already see the handwriting on the wall, you're just keeping your head low and hoping that you don't get that pink slip. It's a very uncomfortable time. If you've ever considered entrepreneurial work, being able to work for yourself, I think that this industry gives you the kind, and and this company in particular, 
gives you the kind of support where you can you can work for yourself, but have the the training that you need to be able to know how to do it well. So you don't have to make the same mistakes that, you know, when you start out as an entrepreneur, you make mistakes just because you don't know if you're a first generation entrepreneur. It's different if you're a second or third generation entrepreneur. So with this industry having been around and stood the test of time, this industry is not going anywhere. This industry is a recession proof mm-hmm. industry. So there's that layer of security But then there's you, you coming new to this industry. As I mentioned, there's a level of support and training that is unmatched in this industry. So there's no need for, I know sometimes people talk about life insurances and agents um, being unethical. There are people like that who are in the industry, like in any industry. But if you know what you're doing and you have the support that you need, there's no need. There's absolutely no need to be unethical because you know what you're doing. You only become unethical if you really don't mm-hmm. know what you're doing. So um, that was one of the reasons why I felt really compelled to want to um, do this podcast, because I want to be able to let people know that there is an alternative to having to go to a nine to five. If you're driven, if you're passionate about your success and the success of others, then this might be an alternative for you. It's not for everybody. It's absolutely not for everybody but for those who are willing to bet on mm-hmm. themselves. And I'm always about betting on myself, right? I mean, I know who I am, right? And if you have that level of confidence internally that you know that if you're given like the how-to, if you're given the how-to, you can take this. Come on, speak on so it now. Boy, take us on. Take us home, Maggie. Take us home. hundred percent. I mean, it's funny because when Sky talks about entering into recession, so, you know, when I was in school, remember I studied economics, they talked about in 2008, 2009, they kept explaining to us since we don't have, you know, our four, you know, quarters of decreased GDP, we're not technically in a recession. I'm like, I heard that before. History is repeating itself. And you're hundred percent right. Cause what happened after 2008, after they said, we're not technically in a recession yet, we hit it. Right. And it was, it was a very bad one. Nobody, nobody was returning calls. <laughs> nobody was, was returning really calls. One. So that's actually what the economists were saying. I was in school, I was listening to the, the, the rhetoric and I was like, ah, if there's nothing stopping us from going into one, we're going to go into one. Um, so, you know, with that said, as far as the stability, 100%, I mean, the fact even that I get to work from home, I like feel like my life is a dream. You know, I could be in a jacuzzi working uh, if I wanted to, um, depending on what I was task I was working on, you know, so it gives that level of freedom. And, you know, as far as like where to go, we do have webinars, we do have access to a website I could send out to you, Tyrell. Or I can even give you our direct um, email address. And obviously, anybody that is looking or open to bettering themselves, like Sky said, it can't give anybody a job, right? But we could definitely give somebody an interview. Just a fair shot, fair chance of seeing if the opportunity is for them or not. So, you know, that would be, I guess, the best answer I have to that question for you, Tyrell. Love it, love it, love it. Um, So much value and information that you've given in this short period of time with us you know i i would love to keep the conversation going but my podcast is not like a joe rogan podcast we don't go talk for two hours <laughs> but 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 hopefully we can get you come back on for another segment someday um before we jump off tell me what projects are you currently working on and where can the people find you um well in terms of social media 
Social media. I mean, I, I know we all have our own personal social media um, and I, I do share some of the things that we're involved in. Like like Maggie said that, um, you know, she could be sitting in a, kaju, kaju, kajuzi, a jacuzzi <laughs> doing this work. Last year, this time I was actually sitting in Hawaii working my business. Um, and, and Maggie knows I could be anywhere because I'm my own business person. I could be anywhere in the world. I was in New Orleans last year, this year. Mm-hmm. I was in Mexico so this year working my business, right? Because once you get to a place of of earnings, right, you can take your show on the road and still do what you do, right? You're still helping people and you're still growing. So that's a big plus. So you can follow me on social media, Instagram. I'm Sky and that's S-K-A-I underscore unlimited, U-N-L-T-D. That's Sky, S-K-A-I underscore U-N-L-T-D. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok under both those um both those handles and also feel free to email me and that would be at diane d-i-a-n-e stroud s-t-r-o-u-d the 101 at gmail so the sky stroud 101 at gmail.com and we'll be glad to share uh further details for the information and and let's see if this is a, a absolutely fit. thank you also, Maggie. same thing for Gary. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Ed Maggie Styles, and it does say I'm fashion and finance at the same time. Um, so that's my Instagram account, and um, you could find me on my email is e m y r t h i l at papas p a p p a s agencies plural a g e n c i e s Dot com. I want to thank you ladies so much for coming on and blessing us with knowledge. And if you're out there driving and you didn't get all that, don't worry. I'm going to email them, get all their links and uh, information and to put it in the show notes below. Any last words of wisdom for the people before we uh, part off today, ladies? Well, I want to just say thank you to you for providing this platform for something because I've, I've watched several of your interviews and podcasts. I love your style. I love your energy. And I love that you're allowing people to have a voice to be able to be heard and just spread the word. And and in terms of just life lessons for myself, one of the things that I, I learned in, in the wellness arena, uh, people when they get older, you know, and, and centennials even, because I did a, a study on centennials, you don't want to live your life with regret. And one of the biggest regrets that people have at the end of their life is not having lived their own vision, living somebody else's mm-hmm. vision. The parent wanted this for them or the grandparent wanted that for them. I know mine is not a typical journey, you know, because I've gone here, I've gone there, I've taken highways and byways because something is interesting over there. But that's my journey. That's my truth. That's my journey. And don't let anybody tell you how you need to live your life. Feel free to enjoy this experience called life the way you want to. That doesn't mean don't listen to your elders, your teachers. You want to take in advice. But when it's all said and done, you want to know when you come to the end of the road, that you've lived a life that you've chosen for yourself. I would say my advice is be authentic with everything that you do, because, you know, I find even in the insurance industry, when you're real, when you're yourself, when you're honest and you're genuine, you get further with people. Um, So there's something that we all know we need to do spiritually. And if you feel like you're arguing with your spirit, you're probably on the wrong path. Like when I was working um, as an assistant. And so, Find your truth, find that and believe in it because your behaviors are going to be belief driven. So whether you believe you can do something or you believe you can't do something, you're going to be right. 
So believe in what you actually want your life to be and live that as your reality. Look, they not just Amen. giving y'all financial advice right there. They giving you life advice. They 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 breathing life into you today. Ed Maggie, D Sky. I I'm I'm honored. Um I'm privileged to have this time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um we'll be in touch because I, I think we're gonna have to do a part two or do something else because this was just absolutely fire. <laughs> thank you so much for having us. <laughs> No problem. Thank you. So, thank ladies you, and gentlemen, you. make sure y'all connect with them. Um, we'll try to get them back here for some more advice. Go deeper dive into certain topics that you want to hear about. Just make sure you message me and let me know what it is you want to hear. And that is our episode for today. And we'll catch you on the next time. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Rise Urban Nation. Thank you for taking the journey. Be sure to like, comment, and smash that subscribe button. And stay connected with Terrell on and off the show. Follow at Rise Urban Nation on all platforms. Do what you love. Love what you do. Don't chase the money. Let the money chase you.